Morning Discussion. We're back with Dr. Andrew Corbett this morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Cameron, and welcome back to you. And we've both had a couple of weeks off, Indeed. off the air, and here we are back again. And just before we had our break, we had Easter. I don't know if you can remember just back that far, <laughs> Cameron. And... As you would be aware, WayFM was the major promotion partner for the Launceston Easter Community Festival. And despite the naysayers, how many people said Launceston shuts down over Easter and you'll never be able to pull anything off like that, we did. We had nearly 1,100 people come out to the Albert Hall on Good Friday night and it was just a wonderful time. So I want to say thank you, Launceston. I want to say thank you to particularly the church and Christian community of Launceston. Your support of that event was greatly appreciated, well noted, and it was a it was a proud day. At the end of that day, I was exhausted along with my team, and there was the the undergirding factor in that is that the the city of Launceston had supported the event so well, and what was also pleasing were how many people were walking past the Albert Hall, heard something was going on and just came in and stayed for the event and were, you know, their feedback was was just tremendous. So great effort and the fact that most of you heard it and heard about it on WayFM. Again, I want to thank our WayFM listening family for supporting that. We are more than a radio station, Cameron, as you'd be aware. WayFM is a community and we are here to be a positive influence on our greater community, the city of Launceston, and we are doing that and we are continually hearing reports and even over the last few weeks, we've heard reports of people who have, you know, accidentally, in square quotes, scare quotes accidentally tuned into AFM heard something that has given them hope in fact I heard last week of a lady who had been told by doctors that they could not have children and she heard something this is this is one of the more bizarre ones we put this in the bizarre category Cameron but she heard something on AFM and someone was talking about the story of Hannah out of First Samuel, who was also, you know, facing the situation that she could never have children. And she said something of hope entered entered into her heart and she became quite optimistic that the doctors were wrong and that she would have a child. And one of our board members um, is was the presiding minister at the the baptism of that baby um, several weeks ago. So there you go. There's a positive wow. story, Cameron. That's and, awesome. And, and at that dedication or uh, child dedication or, or infant baptism, there was an opportunity for the parents to share their story. And they both, they, they mentioned the fact that they had received new hope from listening to YFM. Now, they didn't realize that the, the YFM board member was, uh, you know, the minister officiating. So it was, it wasn't, you know, they were playing to the camera. It was this was just their story. Look, and that's a wonderful story. And Cameron, it is our hope that there might be people listening to us now who maybe feel life is a bit tough. Maybe they feel life has become a bit hopeless and they are looking for the point 
to life. In fact, I've been doing a, a little bit of flying over the weekend and and in one of the magazines, the, Air, the airline magazine, I was looking at, they're noting a new phenomenon among, as we're going to talk about in a moment, the super successful. There's a new phenomenon now, Cameron, where the super successful are not interested in stuff as much as they are interested in making their lives count. And the direct quote was almost something like this, that they are interested in finding fulfillment and meaning for their life. And I find that really, really intriguing. Of course, there are many of us who have long since discovered that stuff cannot satisfy and it and fulfillment and meaning in life comes from within not from without and something has to come within you and you you then have a, a hope and a sense of destiny a sense of purpose a sense of of resilience no matter what comes your way that it's it's worth continuing so look i want to talk about some of the 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 secrets in fact i want to take the biggest secret the biggest secret of the super successful and again this is an interesting phenomenon that we have not this is an age now where we are experiencing people who are successful beyond any measure of success previously in human history even world emperors could not have imagined the wealth that some of these new new uh, generation entrepreneurs uh, have, have accumulated. And again, reading in uh, this airline magazine of people like Mark Zuckerberg. Do you know who Mark Zuckerberg is, Cameron? Yeah, he's the uh, founding member of Facebook. The, he's the one of the, yes. the founders of Facebook. Yes. The uh, arguably, I think he's the the major shareholder of Facebook, and he's worth something in the order of billions of dollars. And he's, I'm, I think he's 30. I'm, I, he's 30, he's just, he's in his 30s, I think. He's a very, still a baby. Still yeah, a baby. very young man, very young man. Anyone in their 30s, Cameron, is a baby, is that right? <laughs> Once you reach 35, oh, maybe. Right? <laughs> and... There, and he's not the only one. There are. I was reading of a young Aussie who's gone to the United States, and he designs apartments. He redesigns apartments that that the wealthy buy in inner city apartments. And people like Leonardo DiCaprio have bought a, a redesigned apartment off this young Aussie. This young Aussie's twenty seven years of age, and he's already worth twenty five million dollars. And th this this financial success, and, and I do want to put that adjective, financial success, because I certainly don't want people to think that when we talk about the super successful, we are only talking about financially successful. But it's interesting. Each one of these people, when interviewed, said they are not motivated by money. They're not motivated by money. They're motivated, and nearly all of them said this, they are motivated by the potential that they have by being successful to help the world to be a better place. So they are looking at helping people, helping their communities, and helping the world 
to become a better place. That's what motivates them. And yet despite that, they all talk about having this emptiness and they're looking for this desire to help others, to help their community and to help the world as a part of the answer to find fulfillment in life. And it actually is. It actually is a part of the answer. There is a deeper ache in every human soul that no matter how good you are, no matter how kind or generous you are, it, it cannot satisfy that ache. Yet, there's, there's more I could say about that in a moment. But, but here's what I've noticed about the super successful. These are people who not just, you know, have their needs met and, you know, they're set for life and that, that's all they need. And, and people talk in terms of, you know, I'm content if I've got all my bills paid, a little bit of money in the bank and enough to live on into the future. Well, bully for you, but these super successful people uh, are people who have essentially achieved something of a global impact and they they also have phenomenal wealth associated with what they've done and it makes an it, it it makes an impact as i said globally and there's one thing they do and it and it almost is a secret yet at the same time it's phenomenally obvious and as i think about this i think how many people here in tasmania want more than they've got and mm. and i know that there are people out there who they want a job and again a job is not just about the finance yes bills have to be paid and yes we must bear responsibility and yes i think as a state we have to work harder and we have to work toward becoming less dependent on government welfare and and even hearing Senator Abetz talk about um, uh, more middle class welfare. You know, I scratch my head. I think, what? You know, anyway, I better not go there, Cameron. But I think we as a state need to to realise that we 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 can no longer drag the successful down. We need to cheer them on. And I and I really want to talk to. 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, people in their early 20s who have an idea, who have a dream, who have aspirations, not just for themselves, like these other, this other breed of young entrepreneurs who are super successful, yet they are living beyond themselves and good on them. And I, I'd love to have a coffee or a lunch with them and maybe give them that X factor that they, they are looking for. But maybe there are young people in this state who are afraid or they don't know where to start or they don't know how to achieve something utterly significant and i i want to share some things that will help those people who understand that without successful people in our state our state is not going to achieve its potential particularly for the generation coming up but let's come back after this song and we're going to talk about the the secret of the super successful what it is what it looks like and how to do it getting dressed for success there that's uh rock set there from the 80s and uh, andrew i suppose one of the key things of uh, having a successful life is to do, dress for success that makes sense doesn't well, it's it interesting there's a whole lot of little things that success coaches will help people with 
the way you dress is one of them. The way you speak is another one. You'll notice that the super successful rarely use verbal fillers, Cameron. Because, you, you know, being involved with radio, we're very aware, especially when we record something and then go back and edit it, mm. how many verbal fillers the average person uses. Yeah. Things like... Um, uh, those things that you say when you're actually trying to think of something to say, even the expression "you know what I mean," or or things like that. At they the be, end of the day, that's it. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, or, you know, the bottom line is going forward. All those things that football coaches say that you know don't <laughs> actually mean anything, but we say them because we're on the spot and we're trying to think. On the run. And a, an, an executive vocal coach, can you believe there is such a person? The executive vocal coach will train executives, super successful executives, to cut verbal fillers out from their vocabulary so that they're not, um, uh, you know, that kind, that, that kind of thing, Cameron. So, yes, the way you dress, the way you speak, the way you conduct yourself even the tone of your voice. When Margaret Thatcher was elected to the British Parliament, she had a very high voice. And whenever she got worked up, it sounded like it was up and I'm really upset about it. And and it just put everybody off. Yes. And so if you've seen the movie, what is it, Iron Lady, it's a a great, I think Glenn Close, Mm. Uh, takes Margaret Thatcher to a T. She is a brilliant actress. And they show that they actually got a theatrical voice coach in for Margaret Thatcher to take her from up here down to here. And And so now most of us, if you can remember Margaret Thatcher, you remember a lady with a very deep voice. Yes. And that conveys a sense of authority. When someone speaks up here, they don't sound authoritative. And when they speak down here with a, a you know, James Earl Jones voice, Luke, I am your father, you know, that, that voice, <laughs> it sounds authoritative. So, yes, there, there are lots of little things. Cameron, here's the thing that the super successful do, and they all do it. And I'm going to use the, 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 example of a Hollywood blockbuster movie as an example of something super successful. Now, the reason I'm going to use that is because there are many filmmakers, and I'm I'm aware of the, some of the filmmaking community. I'm, I'm on one of the Facebook groups where there's a, a whole group of filmmakers in Tasmania who are trying to get their short films or their documentaries out to a wider audience. And it's very frustrating for these guys very difficult they're working with limited resources very limited budgets and oftentimes very limited talent pool that they can draw on they think i'm going to put the the asterisks on each of those they think so here's the, the 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 thing that is different between a hollywood blockbuster and a a small private film and you might immediately think, oh, the budget, that's the big difference. I mean, Tom Cruise spent $24 million on opening day promoting the latest Mission Impossible movie. 
you know, there are some films that are made that don't have that budget for the entire production and marketing of the film. Therefore, it'd be very easy to think it's just about money. But I want you to consider that money's used for something. What is that money used for? And why would someone spend $24 million or so opening day of a movie on simply marketing the, the launch of a movie? Not not even the ongoing, the build-up and the, the launch. Not even the ongoing advertising of the movie. Why would they do that? And there's a reason. And, it's, and it is this reason. The super successful know that the power of of super success is collaborating collaborating so here's five benefits of collaborating and then i want to talk about after we come back from the news how you actually go about the process and i think you have to start small start start collaborating with a small group of people and then i want here's everyone's homework the next hollywood blockbuster movie that you watch that that part of the movie. What's the one part of the movie that most of us don't really pay much attention to? The credits. The credits. Exactly, Cameron. You are on fire. The, the credits. The actors do. They find it absolutely annoying how the the, the actual credits fly by because right. nobody can read who they are. And I'm sure if you were the makeup artist or the assistant, <laughs> you know, the second assistant makeup artist to, to you know Mr. Cruz for the latest Mission Impossible movie, you would probably prefer that they slow the credits right down when it comes to your name (laughs) i'm sure but here's the thing have a look at how many names there are in the credits Mm. of one of these hollywood blockbuster movies and then ask yourself which one of those people could they have done without and the answer if you ask the producer the answer is i I had bare minimum Uh, this is not me being extravagant this is me doing what I had to do in order to achieve what we wanted to achieve. Collaborating. So the benefits are this. We all have blind spots, Cameron. And when you collaborate, you get the perspectives of others to help you see better. So you get a greater vision. Secondly, when you collaborate with others, the problems that you see as insurmountable, others might see as inconsequential because they bring certain experiences to the project and their experiences are so adequate for what has to be done. They don't see this as a big problem at all because they've done it before and they've done it many times and they know what to do. So collaborating brings perspective and experience that you haven't got. Thirdly, you can actually achieve more. More can be achieved because rather than one person doing everything and or directing everything, the expression more hands make light work kicks in. And that's where think about all of those names in the credits. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of names in the credits at the end of a movie and every one of them is needed to achieve what that movie has done now i'm using the movie i'm not you know don't think i'm saying everyone's got to go out and make a movie and involve hundreds of people but i'm thinking there are projects that schools have community groups have sporting clubs have businesses have we're collaborating 
be, it leverages your ability, and I'll come to that in a moment. Fourth, we increase our audience connection. The more people you bring in, the more connections they bring to the project as well. So, for example, the Launceston Easter Community Festival, if it was just me, it probably would have been a flop. But I was working with a committee, we worked with some subgroups, we worked with a lot of people, and we worked for months, and it ended up involving not quite hundreds of people, but probably up to about 100 people. All right, and by doing it, we multiply, we multiply the rewards. Whatever, whatever reward you could get by doing it all by yourself, you multiply it many, many times over if you work collaboratively. Let's come back after the news, and we're going to give you the steps to collaborating well. Can't believe that we're already into May. Yeah, and cold. I laugh at your cold, Cameron. <laughs> I think of places <laughs> like Chicago, yeah, yeah, yeah. places like New York City. Goodness me. You want to talk about cold, go to Toronto. Yes. My goodness me. Yeah, minus 17, I think they get too, yeah, don't they? It's, it's where you've got minus 17 as their top temperature, and, and here we are complaining about 13, 14, or 17 degrees or whatever, and yeah. going, you know, this is cold. It, the mainland probably do more complaining about the cold when they come down here. Absolutely. And anyway, here we are. Look at it. We're, we are looking out <laughs> at the quintessential Australian view, Cameron. Oh, yeah. Where we can see magnificent blue skies with gum trees and just glorious. Why would you want to be anywhere else, Cameron? Absolutely. So we're talking about collaborating. It is the secret of the super successful. The super successful all collaborate. And I think of people who've written a book. They've self-published. They haven't had anybody else participate in the project at all. And they wonder why they can't sell it. And they end up with, you know, boxes of books in their garage that, you know, sit and gather dust and no one's really interested in them. And this is a, a, a great example, and it's a common example, where if someone in that situation, before they'd gone to print, had collaborated with others, not necessarily, not necessarily on the content itself of the book, but that would help sometimes, but bring in people like a proofreader, an editor. I'm amazed at how many independently published books go to print with spelling mistakes, typographical errors, grammatical errors, open quotation marks that have no closing quotation marks, things like that. And with collaborating, you, you would invite someone to edit, proofread, edit your book. You may have to pay them, but it's money well spent. And this is what collaborators know, that when they collaborate with people who can bring their skill set to the project, it, it actually pays for itself if if the end goal is to make money then money spent will help you make more money if you're collaborating well if the end goal is for example a not-for-profit is to feed more people or clothe more people by collaborating with more volunteers you will far and far and beyond anything you could do by yourself achieve that and here at Wayfam, we, we, you know, we live in this zone. This is the air we breathe. You know, right now, Cameron, we're looking for someone to become an announcer. We, we are looking for someone 
who can give us a couple of hours a week, who has a pleasant voice, who can come in and, and if they've got a pleasant voice, we can train them and, you know, a couple of hours a week. And this is us doing, you know, walking the talk that I'm, I'm referring to here, collaborating. People who write a book could do well to have a graphic artist design the front cover. It's an art to design book covers and there's a science to that art as well. And I've seen some, you know, I saw a, an independently published book three weeks ago and I could not believe it. It was done with pen. It was, you know, it was blue pen and it looked like scribble. And this was a, this was a self-published book. And I, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not trying to be elitist or snobbish about this, Cameron, but if you want your project to succeed, you need to collaborate. So what is collaborate? Working together with peers, people who, you know, not just, not necessarily, you know, superiors or underlings, but they're your peers. Peers, and they bring certain skills, experiences, they bring a flair, they bring talent, and they bring resources to a project to achieve a greater outcome. That's collaborating. Now, how can you collaborate? I want to give you five steps, five sequential steps that you need to collaborate and I, I think in terms of some of the committees and boards that I'm on I came back yesterday I was involved in a national board uh, meeting in Melbourne and again there's you know there's half a dozen guys in a room where we spend the day and at the end of the day we achieved something that at the start of the day none of us particularly had on our radar but through collaborating and bouncing things around and bringing different perspectives we achieve something that that was far greater than any of us on our own could have achieved so here's here's the first step i'm going to count down five to one so so the so the, the foundation number five is this have a clear purpose in mind a goal a mission, a measurable objective. You know, we might call this the why. Why are you doing this? It, it gives you the purpose. It gives you the goal. Why are you doing this? If it's to write a book about your family history, you, you, you need to answer the question, why? And, and the answer might be so that my grandchildren have an understanding of where we've come from and who we are. Well, that's fair enough. That's a good, that's a good why. You, you probably want to be realistic then about what the project is going to end up looking like and as you collaborate perhaps with other family members or people outside of your family people who can help you with the proofreading people who can help you with the layout the typesetting of the book the the, the front cover you might you might have somebody say you know you you probably don't want to print 10,000 of these you, you may want to consider doing something like and, and this is a, an idea that I've actually seen fleshed out, where someone has said, I'm, I'm going to write the, the history of our family because it's inter interesting. And I, want, I do want our grandchildren and great-grandchildren to know, you know where, where they've come from and what makes them them. And that's a, that's a very noble idea. Someone came along and suggested, you know, why don't you write it out, but instead of publishing it as a book, use it as the backdrop for a video and create a family history documentary, a family history video. And that way, 
you you can take pictures of great grandma betsy or you know uncle angus and 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 show them on the screen as you're talking about them and you can give each of those and have you know to the grandkids or whatever and have someone you know you could narrate it and you've you know and so what you started out with thinking i've got to write this as a book may end up yeah it could be a book but it could also end up being the script for a documentary that's the kind of thing that collaboration does it, you start off with this is what i want to achieve so you're answering the why question and you think the only way to do that is to write a book but someone comes along and says well this you know this might actually make a better documentary script than a book you've still got to write the book because we need that as the foundation and the basis of the script so that's what collaborating will do it will start off by identifying the purpose what the goal is what the mission is um, what 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 you're actually trying to do what the objective is secondly when you collaborate with people you identify the roles that they that they have in the project so for example for the Launceston Easter Community Festival we had people bring marketing expertise we had people bringing a connection social connection expertise we had someone bringing graphic art expertise we had people bringing festival activity for children and families expertise we had people bringing a, a sense of the, the financial side of it the, the business expertise to the whole thing as well then we had you know the actual event expertise running an event and things like that so there's all of these people participating collaborating from a, a broad cross section of churches and businesses and not-for-profit organizations who collaborated and one of the things that we did very early on is we asked the question what is it that you can contribute as far as skills abilities talents and expertise to this project so having those identified we're able to designate roles very early on and that's that's important so also availability is one of those things where everyone gets a role and we all understand how much they can contribute reasonably what their availability is so one more and then we'll go to music and we'll, we'll, we'll give the last two is one of the one of the things that is often not appreciated in the collaborative effort and, and a collaborative effort, Cameron, could be a group of musicians who've never played together, get together and start just playing together. And this this is the the third thing. Meet to grow together, to get to know each other's stories while working on the tasks. So collaborating will it, it looks like, well, we've actually taken a break from collaborating now because now we're just meeting together and we're just hearing each other's stories and we're sharing our stories and this is often best done over a meal food and a and a, a drink you know a cup of coffee and most of by the way most of the launceston easter community festival was done over breakfasts at various places around town and when it got particularly serious we we started to meet in a, a private place and the point there is that we, we, we were getting to know each other 
and we were building trust amongst each other, which enabled us to collaborate more freely. And this is an important aspect. In fact, uh, yesterday in the meeting I was involved with yesterday, that they were talking about, well, you know, do we need to fly in from all over Australia to do this three times a year? Can we just do it by phone or by Skype or something like that? And the 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 general response to that was, well, there there actually is something about seeing each other face to face, hearing each other, s- hearing tones, seeing facial expressions, seeing body language, being in the room. You know, slapping hands together and handshaking, giving each other a hug, and asking how the the, the fa- without having to worry about the technology letting you down, which often happens with things like Skype, and it creates a different chemistry for collaborating. So, a part of the collaborating process is actually that. And you might think, well, we didn't get much done today because all we did was spend time with each other. But I'm suggesting. That is a vital part of collaborating. When a director of a movie gets together, they will maybe take this, you know, give the, the associate producers, associate directors scripts, the rough script, and they'll go and have lunch together. They'll, they'll, they'll go and have dinner together. And the, they may not even get to look at the script necessarily, but they're building that chemistry that enables them to collaborate. Let's come back after this music break, Cameron, and I've got two more. And hopefully there'll be people who start to get ideas. Hey, you know, if I work with these people, I could actually achieve something I never thought I could achieve. So let's come back after this break. We are uh, just about into the uh, last leg of uh, this morning's uh, message and uh, discussion with Dr. Andrew Corbett, which is talking about the secret of successful people. Yeah, it's the secret, and it's what all super successful people do, and it's collaborate, and they've learned to collaborate well. So you'll see I've used a Hollywood blockbuster movie as an example of collaborating where you've got producers, directors, actors, camera people, lighting people, makeup art, and the list goes on. And all of these people are collaborating to make something that would be better than if just one of them did it. You can imagine one person being the camera person, the actor, the script writer, and so on. It's just, yeah, you might be able to do something okay. But if you collaborate, you will be able to do far better and far much more. And I think in our state, we need to do this a little bit better. I don't know if you've noticed, Cameron, but there's some very independently-minded people in our state. Uh, Yes. And... That's wonderful, and that, that's great for pioneering. You need that. But then as a state, as a region, as a nation grows up, we need to learn to collaborate. We need to learn to work together. And sometimes our, our in, you know, the same independent streak that enables us to cope and you know, break ground and do things for the first time and establish things, that, that same sort of thing, can also be a bit of an Achilles heel and stop and prevent growth. I I think we need to collaborate so that we can see new tourist markets open up to our state. Tourism, we all know we have a state worth showcasing. This, there is so much natural beauty here. We need to showcase it. We need to showcase it well. And... It's an, for me, it's a no-brainer 
that we need to be opening up our doors and putting out the welcome mat to generally to people, but especially to the Chinese. And here's the reasons why, Cameron. China is fast becoming one of the wealthiest nations on the planet. They have more millionaires per square mile than just about anywhere else in the world now. There, There is a growing wealthy class. These are people who work, hold down jobs, have executive roles and things like that, who get two weeks holiday every year where they can go anywhere in the world and they will spend money because they want to... You know, money's not their their problem. They want to enjoy their time wherever they go. Well, in Tasmania, we get pittance of that market, absolute pittance, and we need to let them know we 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 have the doors open and the welcome mat out. And so I was, I nearly did a Toyota jump on Monday afternoon when I arrived back from Sydney, and I saw a, a tourism. A Tasmania booklet, and I, I grabbed it, and it was all in Chinese. Now, whoever in Tourism Tasmania has organised that, snaps to you. That is awesome. Well done. The next step we've got to do, and we in Tasmania need to understand this, if we are to collaborate as a state to see our economics for, economic fortunes turned around so that our kids can have a job, Cameron, so that those people who are at home bored out of their brains doing things to themselves that lead to things like suicide, depression, alcoholism, domestic violence. Instead of having the idle time to do that, these people have a job. A job is more than income. A job is dignity. And if we want to see that happen, we have to. It's not the answer, but it's a part of the answer. We have to put the welcome mat out to the Chinese and welcome them. Australia has had a long association with China. And and this would surprise many people to learn that that yes, it was the you know, the English and the Dutch who were here from the outset, but so were the Chinese. The the Chinese have been a part of the foundational fabric of Australia and we need to welcome them. The next step, and I hope we see it over the next 12, 24 months at the outset, is to see Chinese subtitles on all our road signs. Can you imagine that, Cameron? And you might think, oh, oh, I don't know about that, Andrew. Cameron, go to China. Go to China and have a look at their road signs. Guess what two languages are on their signs? Chinese and English. You got it. You absolutely got it. And what are they saying when they have Chinese and English on their road signs? If you're an English speaker, you are welcome. You are welcome in our country. Well, we're dealing with a country of 1.1 billion people. Do you know how many times Tasmania would fit in in a place like that? A lot of times. That's that's exactly right. A lot of times. So we need to uh, welcome to our state hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Chinese people and don't be afraid of them don't be scared these people they they really resonate with us they yes they ta- look i think chinese food by the way cameron is one of the five food groups yeah <laughs> <laughs> people tell you it's meat fish dairy vegetables whatever i think um, it's chinese italian sauce <laughs> I think Chinese first, Italian second. They're the they're, they're the first two of the five food groups. Anyway, 
so in order for us to collaborate together, this is the kind of thing, big picture stuff that we need to do. And, and that might give people an idea. That might give some young people an idea. You know, I could offer a tourism experience to the Chinese where they are shown places at a level of luxury and service that currently is not available. And, and okay, don't think about doing it, you know, you and your car or your van. Think in terms of collaborating. So we've gone through and said, have a clear purpose and vision in mind. This is where you start. Have a goal. Have a measurable objective. Deadlines are, friend, are your friend. And then fourthly, identify the roles and the gifts and the abilities, the talents, the expertise and the availability that everyone brings to the project. Thirdly, meet together with your team that you're collaborating with just to meet together and to hear each other's stories. This is a trust-building exercise. You don't need to plan it out too much. You just need to do it. Secondly, counting down, share your story, your vision with stakeholders to get what we call buy-in and introduce a new level of collaboration. So collaboration is kind of like those measuring cups you know you have the big one at the bottom then you put the next one in the next one in, and they all stack away in the drawer because they all kind of fit in well collaborating you you could just have your little tiny little teaspoon measuring cup but if you put put it in the next one which is okay bring in a team bring in people who can add to what you're doing and what you end up with and this is the the emotional challenge for for very independently minded people is what you end up with by collaborating will almost certainly look different than what you thought you were going to end up with but guaranteed it will be better it will be better you know when steve jobs was leading apple he had a a vision of uh, developing this thing called the macintosh don't know if you've heard of an apple mac cameron um, yes. Okay, well, that elicited, uh, that elicited a response that was very slow on your part. Now, <laughs> so what, well, what, happened, what happened, Cameron, was that the initial Apple Mac sales were very sluggish to the point where the board of Apple ended up sacking Steve Jobs. They, they removed yes. the founder from the company. And it's no secret that the company actually did okay, but not great. They themselves struggled for a while because they were short one of their major team players in their collaborative effort. Now, also, Steve Jobs then went and started a thing called Next Computers. That's right. That's right. And he actually struggled. He he did okay, but not great, and really struggled to get traction with his computer systems meanwhile as a side issue get this Cameron as a side issue he helped a group of guys collaborate to form a little film company called Pixar Uh yeah and as it turns out Steve's imagination and expertise with along with these guys these animators they their collaborative effort became far bigger than anything Steve Jobs had previously achieved with Apple or with his computers uh, next, the next computers. And this is often something that's really overlooked in the scheme of things that people talk about Steve Jobs and, you know, the wonderful thing he did with Apple and how successful it was. But if it wasn't for Pixar animation, he would not have been able to get back into 
Apple. Yeah. And it was when he came back into Apple that he collaborated with a team of people, including that English guy with the lazy eye, who designed the Apple computers. And Steve Jobs ended up, you know, helping to steer a, a project of creating a new type of computer that he himself didn't even have in mind. And and by collaborating, he achieved this. So Pixar was a collaborative film company effort, and Apple became a collaborative effort as well. And so share your story with stakeholders. Increase buy-in from people as you do it. And here's the last one. When you've achieved your deadline, when you've had your your end objective, meet together with your collaborative team and debrief. And the debrief is what did we do well? What could we have done better? What would we do different next time? It's as, it's as simple as that. Cameron, thank you. Uh, welcome back and welcome back to me too. And yes. uh, I'll be here next Wednesday. And I do want to thank our supporters. I've recently sent out a newsletter on behalf of IFM where we talk about the launch of our future fund to get our 98.1 back on the air. Uh, we're going to need about $20,000. We've already had quite a bit of that come in this week already so thank you very much to those people who've got right behind that we're we're over halfway there now and we need the the next half of that just to get 98.1 back on the air which of course broadcasts over to scottsdale and up to devonport and even bernie so if you're able to uh, help us with that that would be greatly appreciated give the station a call 633 140 you can also go online yfm.org.au donate all gifts are tax deductible and we thank you very much for your support thanks Karen. Good on you, Andrew. Dr. Andrew Corbett uh, once again with his uh, Wednesday morning discussion. As he said, he'll be back next week and we'll have him tomorrow night for Finding Truth Matters. Tune in uh, from 8.30 as part of our weeknight uh, teaching programs. It's uh, 9.35. We've got uh, news headlines for you next and then we'll be crossing over to the Weather Bureau talking to Malcolm Riley about the weather.